Hi, you're listening to the Stefan Levera podcast focused on Bitcoin and Austrian economics. Today, I've got an interview with Alan Piscatello, VP of product from Blockstream. But first, let me introduce the sponsors Kraken, Unchained Capital, Cypherwheel, and Give Bitcoin. Check out Kraken, one of the world's leading Bitcoin exchanges. Kraken have a high quality platform. They offer high trading volume and low fees with no minimum or hidden fees. Kraken have 24-7 support. They offer best-in-class accounting, reconciliation and reporting services. And just recently, they've announced Kraken Pro mobile app. Kraken Pro delivers all the security and features you love about the Kraken exchange in a beautiful mobile-first design for advanced Bitcoin trading on the go. Kraken also have an OTC desk for those people who want a more private and personalized service for large block trades, 100k USD or more. Kraken also offer margin up to 5x long and short, and there's also futures up to 50 times leverage to benefit from price swings or to hedge your price risk. So to find out more, go to kraken.com. Next is Unchained Capital. Unchained Capital are doing Bitcoin financial services, empowering their customers with unprecedented financial freedom and control. All of their products are built on the foundation of multi-sig, and their approach to collaborative custody gives users control over their private keys, as well as the benefit of a financial partner and financial services. Unchained offer two of three vaults. These are a great option for those thinking through how best to secure your Bitcoin for the long term. And if you need to access liquidity, but you don't want to sell your Bitcoin, that's where Unchained's collateralized loans offer a unique option. All Bitcoin is stored on-chain, dedicated multi-sig addresses. It's never rehypothecated, and you can share in the security by holding one of those three keys. I'm really impressed with Unchained. They're doing excellent services. They've released valuable content and open source tools and more to come. I think you'll enjoy partnering with them. So learn more at unchained-capital.com. Have you backed up your Bitcoin seed? If not, look into the Cypher Wheel by the company CypherSafe. So the Cypher Wheel is a new product that comes in a wheel shape and it masks the actual words of your seed unless you actually open the tamper evidence seal. And this allows you to back up your BIP39 seed in a way that's fireproof, waterproof, rustproof, petproof, and tamper evident. So make sure you've got it backed up rather than leaving it to chance and hoping that your paper seed doesn't get waterlogged or tampered or goes up in a fire. Make sure that your loved ones still have access to your bitcoins if an accident occurs to you. The product is available for pre-order. Check out the website, cyphersafe.io. There's a link in the show notes. Last but not least, check out givebitcoin.io. It's the easiest and safest way to get your friends and family into Bitcoin. Take it from me. I've given Bitcoin to people before and they lost it because they just didn't know what they were receiving. That's why I saw huge value in Give Bitcoin. Imagine if you could give Bitcoin to someone and you could time lock it and then educate them for that one to five years that you've got it time locked. Well, that's what Give Bitcoin is, delivering a, a lesson from a world-class curriculum put together with input from many well-known Bitcoiners such as Safedean, Matt O'Dell, Jan Pritzker, and others. I'm also an advisor with a small equity stake assisting with the curriculum. You can also get Bitcoin as a present for birthdays, Christmas, bar mitzvahs, graduation, weddings. Put Bitcoin on your wish list at givebitcoin.io. I really think givebitcoin.io can have a positive impact on Bitcoin adoption and understanding, so I'm excited to have them as a sponsor. So today my interview is with Alan Piscatello, the VP of product from Blockstream. Blockstream have a range of important projects ranging from satellite to mining to sea lightning to liquid. Liquid is one of those topics where I think a lot of my listeners have heard of it but don't know too much about how it works, what the benefits of it are. So in this interview we talk about some real world use and some of the benefits such as confidential transactions, masking the amounts, and the potential ability to use this as a new financial infrastructure and settlement system. Here's the interview. Alan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. 
So, Alan, I know you're doing a lot of work with Blockstream and Liquid and Sidechain, so I thought it would be great to get you on and just break that some of that down for the listeners. Uh, but can you just start with a little bit of a background on yourself and what you're doing with Blockstream? Yeah, so I'm the vice president of product at Blockstream. I've been there for about two years. I've been in the Bitcoin space for now uh, – eight and a half years. So I've uh, been a big follower of Bitcoin and, and always wanted to get into space and uh, was really uh, happy to join Blockstream. I, I, I really had respected what they'd been doing for a long time and uh, was fortunate enough to join. So I'm, I'm really excited to, to be there and be able to make a difference. Awesome. And uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about what you're working on these days. Yeah, so I oversee uh, products. So that's that's basically um, the main ones we have there that we're talking about are Liquid. We also have Blockstream Green, which is our non-custodial multi-signature wallet. We also have, uh, we work on the Lightning Network. We have a data feed with the uh, Intercontinental Exchange, which is the group that owns many different stock exchanges around the world, including the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, we work on Elements, which is the underlying technology behind uh, Liquid. We work on Blockstream.info, so that's our Block Explorer, and Esplora, which is the technology behind it. And we work. We also have uh, mining operations. So we do hosted mining uh, for customers that are looking for secure hosting of mining, uh, all done in North America. So this is... Uh, I'm trying to think if I left anything satellite. out. Oh, the satellite, of course. <laughs> See, I'm glad you did your homework. Yeah, the satellite. So this is also being able to broadcast the Bitcoin blockchain from space, help prevent network splits, and also um, troll people on the internet, apparently <laughs> with uh, being able to pay for messages on it with Lightning Network. And it's been really popular for people who hate Lightning Network to pay using Lightning Network to troll people. So it's, it's a, kind of a fascinating scenario that, that kind of evolved out of it so it's all happening man i mean look i'm a, yeah I, I like a lot of uh block streams projects and a lot of open source ethos around that and really contributing to the bitcoin ecosystem uh but uh today i think let's let's focus in on side chains and particularly Blockstream liquid so uh, c- can you give us an overview for let's say a beginner they know a little bit about bitcoin but they don't really know w- what is a side chain Yes, yeah, so sidechain is a blockchain that runs in parallel to the native chain. And so in this case, we have something like Liquid, which is its own blockchain. It has its own set of rules, but it has Bitcoin that can move into the system and can move back. So when Blockstream was founded, sidechains really were the kind of focus of the company. Uh, there's a lot of different ideas and features uh, that were thought of that could be done, but it's too hard to implement these new features and maybe the change the trust model or they do something that, that is not really possible to do in, in Bitcoin, nor should it be done, but they're interesting features. And so we saw sidechains as a way to implement these features. And the first sidechain we created was Liquid, and this is a sidechain based around assets and settlement of Bitcoin and trading applications. So it has a different trust model than, say, Bitcoin. It doesn't use miners. It has a federation that's actually in control of it, uh, which allows for different trade-offs and different features and different functionality um, targeted towards this use case, whereas Bitcoin can be fully trustless and decentralized. and you can take advantage of being able to move your funds in and out. Yeah. And I think one of the key points to understand is that there are different trust models associated with these things. So if we were to compare something like Lightning, which is trust minimized, let's say, right? Every transaction is fully uh, 
able to be settled back down to the Bitcoin blockchain. And then there are some of those things that are sort of in the middle, like state chains. And then you've got side chains, which is, well, particularly the Blockstream liquid model. Can you give us some of your thoughts and your view on how to think about those different trust models? Yeah, so there's there's a lot of different uh trust models depending on what kind of layer you're going on top of. So, you know, even if you, one thing you didn't mention, you know, you have the, the oldest layer two solution in the book, which is deposit your money on the exchange and we update accounts as you trade things. And so that's a fully trusted model. That's kind of on one end of the extreme. It's extremely fast. It's extremely cheap. Um, you're trusting the custodian in this case to actually handle things. And on the very, you know, furthest end away is, is native Bitcoin, where you're relying on economic incentives to prevent things like chain reorganizations or double spend attacks. So now let's say you add in something like uh, Lightning. That's an interesting example. Lightning uh, relies on a reactive security model. What that means is you and your partner that have a channel have an incentive to behave honestly because if one of your parties uh, – does something incorrectly and try and ends up with more funds than they should have, you have the ability to, if you're paying attention or someone else is paying attention on your behalf, can go and actually claim those funds back. And so this is something where, you know, the security model is not perfect. There's, there's, there are cases, if you're not paying attention, you could lose your funds. Uh, but it is something where you don't have to worry on any particular third party to protect your funds for you. Um, Lightning does have other trade-offs with that because you're now having to have liquidity paths to be able to send to anywhere. So it's not necessarily as flexible with sending large amounts of funds to, uh, I would say, like random places. So if you're trying to send funds always to the same place in small amounts, Lightning's absolutely a great use case for that. Now, something like state chains, uh, you have a different trade-off, and that's a federated model. And I'm not an expert on state chains. It's a pretty new thing that just came out. Uh, but the the idea is you have a federation, and you can pass these uh, UTXOs around. And as long as the there's no collusion between that federation and one of the previous owners, you can't lose funds. And then you have something like Liquid, which is a purely federated chain, and the funds go into this federation. The federation uh, is protected through a set of you know economic and reputational uh, and uh, incentives. So they they basically don't want they're getting use out of the network. They don't want it to go down. And if something bad happened, you know they would lose access to it. Uh, in addition, there's also a hardware security model uh, to it where the the Devices that are actually holding the funds have certain behaviors where they'll they'll only release the funds in certain conditions, and it's very difficult to tamper with these devices. So that's the uh, separate trust model. Gotcha. And so we're we're liquid. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. One other point to uh, maybe would be good for you to just spell out some of the differences there is uh, between Blockstream Liquid's model and say something like Paul Stork's Drive Chains. Yeah. So Drive Chains is going to be something that is typically merge mined. Uh, and so what this means is the, the you know, they're, they're, the funds disappear into this side chain and the way they get out of there is through a very slow process of miners saying that, you know, these funds are authorized to come out and there's a very, very slow, I think it's over several months process that they do this. And the idea behind that is the miners, you know, theoretically could say, Yes, these funds are supposed to come out and they go to, into our pockets. And the incentive model there is either 
there will be some type of reaction from the market to punish those types of miners, uh, or that it just simply they'll get you know there'll be enough honest miners that that tie the funds up. So it's a, it's a different model. Um, you know, it, it relies on incentives in in some capacity as well. The state, uh, you know, originally Blockstream was looking at more of the mine solutions for a sidechain, uh, but you know, especially back previously, it's gotten a lot better recently. Uh, but mining has been very centralized. Again, that kind of ties into why we got into mining and why we're, you know, we think that more people should be into mining is that we want to bring that decentralization to mining so these types of solutions become viable options as well. Right. And so that bringing it to Blockstream Liquid, then it's a different model because now there's no mining in Blockstream Liquid and the miners can't steal from you. So let's talk a little bit about in some of these models, who can steal from you in a sidechain model and what, what would it take for that to happen? Yeah, so in Liquid, uh, all the funds in Liquid are secured by uh, a two-thirds majority of miners. So in the case of Liquid, there are 15, currently there's 15 uh, functionaries that are the ones securing it, and it needs greater than two thirds of them to be able to spend. So that means, in order to spend that Bitcoin, you need eleven out of those fifteen to collude in some way to spend that coin. And that would take, you know, getting into where the keys are stored, being able to extract them, and maliciously act upon that. So that would be um, the only real way you could could really do this. And that's a it's a pretty massive effort. Um, because we do have this extra layer of hardware security in here, uh, it also makes it very difficult, if not impossible, to attack remotely. So it would take some collusion from someone from, from these different locations uh, before anyone noticed. And as if, if someone noticed this and five of them decided, uh-oh, I'm going to shut this down, it stopped and everything's at least um, safe at that point. So it's it's very difficult to pull off. And because there's a spread of this federation across multiple continents, multiple countries, um, no, there's no country that has more than three uh, of these functionaries in it. Uh, so it's it's very hard to even have any type of uh, coordinated um, attack on this since they're so spread out. Right. And and fundamentally, we should remember as well, it's being used for different purposes, right? It's not intended that somebody keep their life savings on liquid, say, right? It's the idea is that you would uh, theoretically use it to uh, move funds between exchanges, I suppose, if you're a trader. And then you're, it's like you're already trusting that exchange to not steal from you anyway in the fully custodial model. And so then it's just kind of a, as I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong, it's just a slightly different trade-off. And in some ways, it's an improved security because now rather than just straight up trusting that exchange, you're trusting that two-thirds of the exchanges won't steal from you. Exactly. So yeah, you're, you're basically trusting the the strength of having all of these different exchanges. And again, the application really is focused around trading for the Bitcoin side of things. So, you know, we're not, it doesn't make a lot of sense that you're going to keep your cold storage and liquid. Um, but for traders, they're, they're already having to go through very similar trade-offs anyway. They're having to leave their funds on exchanges for long periods of time because of how long it takes to get funds on Bitcoin. And just just because of mining, uh, you know, even even if there's no congestion, 
you may have bad luck and there's no block for an hour or longer. And that happens, you know, typically every day there's, there's at least some time period where there's no block for an hour and that's, that's normal. And what liquid gives you is that reliability that's needed for trading where there is a block every minute. And we can guarantee that because there's a federation that runs off of the timer and there's, there's not the proof of work or cost of doing that. So uh, there's no randomness in it. It just happens every minute. And if you're a trader, you know, by the time you get two confirmations in liquid, uh, that's considered final. And so now you're you're moving funds very quickly. You can move it between exchanges. You can move it into your own wallet um, to basically hold as a extra security uh, measure, you know, if you're not actively trading. And so that's why, um, you know, the Bitcoin aspect of it is, is very heavily focused on trading. Of course, you have other assets too. And uh, the security model for those is also um, slightly different um, because there's, you know, with any kind of uh, digital issued asset. So something like uh, USDT Tether is is on liquid. Uh, and the risk there is is even much less. So, you know, in that case, there is no asset underneath of it to protect, uh, at least uh, on, a, on a blockchain. There's uh, presumably that funds is locked safe in a bank account somewhere. And in that case, you know, the worst thing that the Federation can do in that case is create a fork that is more than two blocks. And in that ca- case, you can detect it, freeze everything at that case, right at that point, and you know anyone who held that asset on that chain could you know go back to the issuer and they could move their asset to like a different blockchain. So if this case, that's the worst case scenario, is you basically freeze up and you stop, you halt, and you exit the chain. So it's it's a mu- even a better security model for those types of assets. Great. Uh, so, yeah, that, I guess that's that's a bit of an overview of what it is. Let's talk a little bit about the typical users. So, as I understand, it's exchanges, it's traders, it's brokers, uh, these kinds of parties. Uh, who are the typical users? Yeah, so that's exactly right. So, that's kind of the primary use case that we started with was being able to trade assets and being able to move funds around very quickly. So, you know, being able to move the Bitcoin from one side to another and being able to move any type of stable coins that are issued on the, the platform. Uh, besides that, you know, the other the areas we see a lot of potential and interest is in the idea of uh, digital securities. So, something like, uh, you know, issuing a security token on liquid. This is something that um, there's a significant amount of interest. Issuing an asset that represents some type of commodity like gold. We've seen several um, people interested in that type of use case. And the other big use case as well um, that we've seen recently is uh, from Kim.com and launching on his uh, K.IM platform, a native token for that platform that would be on liquid. So there's there's just a lot of different use cases for for assets uh, that would affect, you know, someone that wants to pay, use that token to pay for content certainly could do that. And that's all all using liquid. And of course, uh, the other big project too is uh, the uh, Pixelmatic's uh, Infinite Fleet game is going to be issuing their token on liquid. And so that's a gaming token. So you might see it in you know, a wallet that you have related to uh, video games. So this is something that's pretty wide range of users. Got it. Um, so yeah, let's uh, come to that. Come to those specific tokens a little bit later. Uh, let's talk a little bit about pegging in and pegging out. So as I understand, there is BTC just on my normal Bitcoin blockchain, and then there is LBTC, and then the idea is that you can peg into the liquid chain, and then coming back out, it's a peg out. So can you tell us a little bit about what that looks like? 
Yeah, so when you want to move Bitcoin into the Liquid Network from the Bitcoin blockchain, you need to create what first what's called a pagan address. And so you use your Liquid full node and you can generate this address. And the way that that works is it actually, when you create that address, the, fe the Federation has no idea that that address even belongs to them. Uh, so it's done using a technique called uh, pay-to-contract hash. So you basically specify the conditions that you want to be able to spend that liquid Bitcoin, which is basically, you could think of that as like your liquid address. And you use that liquid address to modify the address of the federation in a certain way. And so what you do is you send that the Bitcoin to that address. The federation at that point still has no idea you even sent them money. So you could, the example I always use is, uh, imagine you have a very large piece of property and you don't really have, you know, you're not watching it. And someone goes, sneaks onto your yard when you're not there and buries a bunch of gold coins at one exact location on it. And so the gold coins are there, but now you, the property owner, have no idea that they were left there. Then you go into the liquid blockchain after it's settled, after it's been there for 100 blocks, and you can create a peg and claim transaction. And this pay and claim transaction is basically the equivalent of giving someone a map to where those gold coins are buried. And so by giving them the map, which is in this case, the contract hash, you've proven to them, you know, this is exactly you know, the conditions that, that, that I deposited them at. And now you are now credited with that liquid Bitcoin. So now you have this asset that can be spent on the liquid network. Uh, and then on the other side, you need to move those funds out. And the way that that works is you have you would create a special transaction that says I would like to send Bitcoin out to uh, the Bitcoin this Bitcoin address, and I am destroying this liquid Bitcoin. So it's kind of like a uh, burn of that asset, and and along with that, um, just for security reasons, uh, I mentioned that there is hardware security on on um, this Bitcoin wallet there is a whitelist for that uh, peg out. So this is just, just something that is restricted to users of the uh, Liquid Network. Now we have plans to expand that in the future with a different security model for anyone to be able to peg out without having to necessarily go to an exchange or anything like that. Uh, so that's, this is a way to keep a flow if there was you know, an imbalance or people needed coins out of Liquid, um, they can always move them back to the Bitcoin blockchain. Got it. And actually, would you mind breaking that down a little bit in terms of what the different uh, types or users are? So I can see from the technical overview documents you've got here, there's functionaries, and then there's participants, and then there's general public. And they've got different things that they're allowed to do, right? So for example, anyone can peg in BTC to LBTC, but in terms of peg out LBTC to BTC, it's as if functionaries and participants. So could you just break down who is participants in that model? Yeah, so when we launched Liquid, there was a fixed set of functionaries. And the way it was designed at that time was that there would be a fixed membership set of uh, up to 15 of them. And we filled up that membership set. We still had more people interested in Liquid, and they still wanted to be able to use it. Now, we weren't able to change the federation at that time because it had already gone live and launched and had this maximum size uh, configured in it. But they did have the ability to be added to this whitelist. And so this is where we have additional members of the network. Uh, many of them would like to be functionaries, and uh, that's something we plan for in the future. But they have the ability also to peg out. Um, besides that, Liquid is 
accessible to the public. You can download a full note of Liquid. It's very similar to Bitcoin. And you can do everything else, you know, including issue assets, peg in, send transactions around. You can do all those things without any permission uh, from the rest of the network. The only thing you need is you need some Liquid Bitcoin to be able to pay transaction fees. Got it. And I guess you can just get that by pegging in, right? That's right. Uh, yeah, you could peg in Bitcoin. And that, that is a slow process that takes uh, about 100 blocks to wait for that to confirm. Or you could get that just directly from an exchange. So there's there's a number of exchanges that are currently integrated. Um, you know, you could, a lot of them, it's very simple. You can just, you know, if you have a Bitcoin balance there, you could just request that they pay you in liquid Bitcoin and they'll treat it as the, you know, the same asset. You don't have to trade for it or expect a different uh, exchange rate or anything like that. Uh, most of the exchanges are, are very um, friendly with this. Great. Uh, and so there are some cool features that are available on liquid that are not uh, yet in Bitcoin, or maybe maybe they'll never get into Bitcoin, but they are interesting and potentially can be like a trial run to see if maybe they would be handy to come into Bitcoin at some later date, potentially. So for example, confidential transactions and confidential assets. So as I understand, what that's doing is you are blinding the amount of what you're spending. So could you out, uh, outline a little bit around what the benefit of that is for Liquid users? Yeah, so the main benefit, uh, you know, in, in in liquid users being able to shield that information from the public is it there's a lot of information revealed when you're sending Bitcoin transactions so uh, there's I'm sure a lot of our, uh, a lot of your listeners have seen Twitter accounts that have like these whale watch um, so it says like uh, you know some user just deposited 10,000 Bitcoin on uh, Bitfinex and you know the user who's doing that, has to wait for confirmations. Meanwhile, everyone in the world who's over at Bitfinex is like, well, someone brought some Bitcoin here. I bet they're going to sell it. Um, I better sell some of mine first before they do and the price goes down. And you end up you know, losing a lot of your potential position um, because this information is leaking. And so that's something that's, that's really important. And of course, there's other privacy aspects as well. Uh, if I am an OTC desk and I'm trading with another OTC desk and they start to see how much of my funds I have. So if I, you know, I send a Bitcoin transaction, I have to reveal to the world sometimes how much I have uh, at a very minimum of what that UTXO is to know, you know, if I'm spending 10 Bitcoin and getting back seven as change and giving you three, well, now, you know, I have seven more and that might influence, uh, you know, some of your behavior. So confidential transactions is, is really important for making sure, you know, your competitors don't necessarily know what's going on or people that are trading against you don't know what's going on. Uh, but still having both two really important features. One is that you can still verify the correctness of the system. Uh, whenever you see a transaction in Liquid, although the amounts are, are shielded, uh, you can still verify that you know the inputs and the outputs all add up to the same value uh, using the, the the cryptographic proofs that that, that are provided. Uh, and then. On the other hand, you also have the ability to share that information with any third party that you need to share it with. So I could, you know, let's just say I needed to go show my auditor, um, you know, what my trade actually was. I could give them what's called a blinding key and they could go in and look at that transaction and actually uncover what was actually being sent and get enough information to prove without even, you know, without trusting me completely independently verifying that it was correct. So that's something that, you know, we do have that functionality. 
Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think um, I like that one about how uh, you can basically mask what you're sending into an exchange because over time people figure out what is the exchange cluster of addresses and then they start doing blockchain analysis and then they start saying, oh, look, there's 10,000 Bitcoins going to Bitfinex or whatever. And then obviously because of the general way people act from a security point of view, you wouldn't put you wouldn't keep bitcoins on there unless you wanted to trade and so if you're sending bitcoins to the exchange it's very likely that you're going to do a sell so then it's it just becomes a bit of a uh there's a bit of uh fun and games let's say uh in the markets when that happens um but and, and did you want to also touch on confidential assets yeah so confidential assets is an extension of confidential transactions where not just the amounts are hidden, but even the asset itself is being sent. So if you look at a typical liquid transaction, we, we support liquid on uh, blockstream.info. Uh, and it's it's really interesting looking at it from a block explorer because, you know, normal Bitcoin block explorer, you're learning a lot of information about it. You look inside of uh, blockstream.info and it says, you know, all you see is a bunch of addresses and confidential and you don't, you know, this transaction could be sending Bitcoin, it could be sending Tether, it could be sending, you know, uh, SLP coin, you could you could do whatever you wanted, and no one would know the difference. Uh, and so the only thing they know is the inputs and outputs match. So this is a good way, you know, of just obscuring a lot of information about what's trading. So, you know, if you're, you know, buying a bunch of security tokens, uh, you might not want to necessarily reveal that to the rest of the world that, you know, you bought a token for Apple stock or whatever token is going to be on liquid. Uh, you may not want to reveal that. And so, all you know, even if someone knows your addresses, they still would just see that you received something, but they wouldn't know what. Gotcha. And with, as I understand, Blockstream has Blockstream Green, which is a iPhone and Android wallet application and it's also got support for liquid so could you tell us a little bit about the support for that yeah so you can send and receive liquid assets uh, directly from uh, your mobile device uh, on blockstream green and soon to be on uh, desktop version as well so we'll, we'll have we'll have everything covered by then um, and so the real the real advantage here is you know you can you can go in you can see your liquid assets. You can still have everything protected by two-factor authentication. Um, and so if you're you're trading on an exchange, uh, this is a good way to be able to move things on and off and not have to, again, trust that exchange when you're not actively trading. So this is a, a common way to do that. And you know we should, should see some uh, hardware wallet support coming very soon as well to add to it. Uh, Blockstream Green already does support hardware wallets for Bitcoin, but the liquid side is uh, very, very coming you know coming very soon great and now how does creating a new tokenized asset work on liquid yeah so uh, unlike ethereum where you have to create a smart contract to do this so you, the assets are built in at the native level um, so in terms of like what's in your wallet and the apis it's exactly the same for having a liquid asset as it is for having bitcoin so really issuing it's very simple you just call a single command if you're you know, using the RPC calls to say issue asset, you tell how many you want to create, you say whether you want to create more of them in the future and whether you want it to be confidential or not. And once you do that, it's in your wallet. And then you have the ability to, if you chose to, create more at a later date. So something like a stable coin, you generally want to, you know, increase the the amount in circulation based on your deposits. So that's why you might want to do that. And then you can also burn them when you're, you know, done using them. So it's all you know, very simple API calls, no complexity of a smart contract. Um, again, that's that's what most people were using Ethereum and other platforms like this for. It was just all this complex smart contracts just for creating an asset. 
we have it right in there at the base layer. So that makes it really easy to to send those transactions as well, and really ties into uh, an important feature, which is, the, which is the atomic swap. So this is the idea that because everything's at that base layer, you can create one transaction uh, that we could interactively work with so that you could send me, say, like Tether, uh, USDT, and I could send you uh, Bitcoin, and neither of us have to trust each other, and we just execute this single transaction and the outputs are just switched and now we've done the trade. Let's talk about some of the other potential uses in practice. As, uh, I've seen, for example, I think Francis Pouliot from Bull Bitcoin was talking about the idea of doing LCAD, like liquid Canadian dollar, and then uh, basically using that as a way that people can trade around liquid Canadian dollars as opposed to you know real Canadian dollars. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that process? What what does that look like around using stable coins on Liquid? Yeah, so again, we had um, you know Tether was one of the first ones we have in here. We also did a stablecoin project with a Japanese company called Crypto Garage, and they did a JPY token that they were doing as part of a pilot program there. Uh, and of course, Francis's uh, Canadian dollar project there with Bull Bitcoin. And so basically. Um, Tether's been around a long time, so it's a pretty similar use case where you can just send and receive it, swap it. The Canadian dollar one, I believe they're doing it as more of a voucher system. So it's a way of getting money into the to the exchanges. Uh, and of course, people may keep a balance of that and be able to do swaps and trades and move between exchanges very easily. Um, the nice thing is for the exchanges, they don't have to um, you know, build infrastructure that's any different once they can accept Liquid Bitcoin, they can accept any liquid asset uh, with with as much ease as everything else. Um, so that's something that's uh, really easy for the exchanges to do. Got it. So in that sense, it can really, if I understand you right, it can reduce the compliance cost and the effort required for that exchange to support. So let's say this exchange wants to support LCAD. Now it's much easier for them to do that rather than having to support if they if they say they're not in Canada, they don't want to go and set up a Canadian bank account. They can just support Liquid, and then now anyone who's got LCAD can go through that exchange, correct? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's definitely um, a very common use case that we have here. And actually, one of our other um, Liquid members as well is uh, XBTO, and they have a product that they're launching called Stablehouse. And this is even another way to kind of swap these different stable coins out. So if you're you're in Canada and you and you want to trade somewhere with uh, US dollar, you could get this LCAD. Uh, voucher, you could send it to someone who could swap that for dollars on like a almost like a forex market, and then you have now this USD uh, liquid coin that you can go bring to any exchange that does that, and vice versa. If I don't, if I want to go trade a bull Bitcoin and I want to market make, well now I just need to get this LCAD. I don't need to open any kind of a bank account to do that. So uh, really, will kind of un- open up the and and consolidate the global markets. It's something where we've seen prices differentiate tremendously based on. Uh, locale um, and especially where there's strong capital controls and so this is something that could potentially help make it so that you know the markets are all fairly priced around the world and you know we don't have situations where one country people have to pay a higher price for bitcoin than others right and as i understand it it also helps in some sense make finance more permissionless because now you can kind of do it all through liquid in a programmatic way that is a little bit more open and free as opposed to the traditional fiat banking route which is very aml sanctions etc compliance uh, heavy yeah absolutely and and again you can create tokens to be as free as you want them to be on liquid so there are tokens that 
can float freely and can go to anyone, any amount. Um, but there are tokens that sometimes need some restrictions on them that, you know, are only allowed to go to certain players. So, you know, we have like the idea of security tokens, they may only be allowed to go to uh, accredited investors. And so you could do, uh, you know, build tools on top of liquid that, that, that have those types of restrictions in them as well. So, you know, we don't necessarily want to advocate for one um, model or another, but you can do, you know, we can do whatever you want on liquid. And that's, that's really about empowering users to build the tokens and then letting the market kind of decide what, what is their demand for. Yeah, actually, um, it brings to mind this other idea. Uh, and I was having an offline chat with uh, Jameson, and he mentioned this idea, and I was intrigued. He was saying, actually, why doesn't anyone use confidential transactions inside Liquid's blockchain to do their own mixing and then like peg it back out into Bitcoin on-chain because it's kind of been mixed in that sense. So that's another idea. I mean, it's kind of these are ideas that could be taken and run with, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, and again, you're... you're uh... You, know, you still have traceability in, in liquid of address linkage, uh, although when you have a large set of uh, transactions, it does become a little bit harder. And you know, even doing things like trying to figure out, you know, when you're doing swaps, you're mixing people's wallets, and those tend to throw a lot of these uh, services that are trying to examine and identify who things are um, that it could happen. So yeah, you could definitely, you know, build combine something like Join Market on top of Liquid, and you get a really uh, powerful system of um, of being able to get fungibility back to your Bitcoin. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, and I think the other big one is just the reduction in the risk, uh, uh, the time. Uh, so for example, a trader might think of it like, I don't need to leave coins on the exchange. Now, if I've got them in liquid, I can just one minute shoot them into an exchange and do trading. Uh, so there's a bit of a, there's more options for traders if they want to do that around not leaving their coins on the exchange. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so that's, that's, I think the first step, you know, that we're all about trying to get things iteratively better um, in terms of trust. And again, the first, first thing is, is like, let's not leave coins on exchange if we don't have to liquid really enables that use case. So you can now, you know, move them into this trust model of a large federation now instead of a single exchange uh, in the, in a longer term vision, there's even a point where you can have the exchanges operate without ever holding your coins at all. And so that's where kind of our ultimate goal is with liquid uh, where the exchanges, and this is something the exchanges don't even like, having to hold your coins. This is a major hassle for them. It's a major risk. They're big targets because uh, everyone knows they have all the coins. If you have a system where all the traders individually have custody of their own coins, this frees them up to just do what they do best, which is you know know their customers, be able to onboard customers, have customer service, and run these order books. And so that's something that you know through Liquid, through the issued assets, through um, even other features that we plan on uh, adding in there, like simplicity, uh, that you'll be able to have, operate these exchanges uh, without ever having custody of the funds. So that's something that that we think will be kind of like the the long. Um, what will happen in the long run uh, with these exchanges. And, and again, that's something we're building towards. That's really interesting. And in terms of longer term vision, other commentators in the space have mentioned how currently it's a bit odd that Bitcoin exchanges basically are an all-in-one thing right now because they're, they're the exchange and they're also the custodian and they're also like the clearinghouse. And it's not really uh, split up like in the traditional, say, the stock market world. Uh, is there then that I see a potential there that Blockstream Liquid helps 
create some of that market structure? Yeah, absolutely. So, so a lot of the old financial system is really built around trust, and that's kind of a necessity. Uh, you know, if you go back to the really, really olden days of the financial system, you kind of had a system that was more like what we see in Bitcoin today, which is, you know, if I wanted to trade stock with someone. Uh, I would have a paper share and they would have a you know cashier's check or something for me and we'd we'd trade it and the way the stock market evolved that just that system just broke it didn't happen uh, and so the solution to this was well we'll just put everything all in one basket every everything's all in the central uh, you know depository that holds everything and we'll just settle everything that way and then it that broke and then we had to go on and go a separate level say well by the way. We'll just have one company own all the stock and you just own rights to it. And so that's that's like literally what we have today. And so it's it's all built on this level of trust. Um, there are a lot of components of those middlemen that really can be replaced through through uh, the blockchain itself, through smart contracts, through uh, through some of these rules that, that can exist and serve those purposes, but without the overhead of, of operating them. So that's something where something like liquid, you know, Bitcoin block is kind of the start. Um, yes, we can go to more um, clearinghouse models and some people are going in that direction and custodian models, but in the, you know, I think that's just kind of recreating the old system. I think we can, we can do better. And that's something where Bitcoin, where you have, you know, private keys and you have cryptography to be able to safely transfer things. Uh, we don't have to build that old system. And that's, that's kind of why we're trying to build it with a uh, differently with new technology that, that will not need as much trust. Yeah, that's well articulated. I like that explanation. Uh, another question that is on my mind, and I'm sure many listeners are thinking this as well, is obviously we've seen uh, what happened with 2017 and all the uh, shitcoin scamming that went on. And uh, I guess there is that question of, will liquid be another vehicle for people to do their own uh, version of that, but just on top of, you know, Bitcoin and Liquid's blockchain. But again, in fairness as well, it's I can see that it's like it's like a neutral tool and some people will use it for good and some people will use it for bad. What's your view? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's If you build technology that is usable, uh, then there will be people that use it for good purposes and there will be people that can use it for bad. Uh, I do think there's a good chance that people are starting to wise up on some of, of those types of uh, projects and are actually kind of seeing, um, you know, I actually kind of really would like having something at stake here. So some of the, the evolution of these projects is getting better. I think you're getting actual revenue from a business that's generating um, value for you. And it's just represented in a digital, you know, a blockchain format rather than something that you might've had, you know, a more traditional asset. So I think, you know, we will see uh, scam and stupid. There's the different scales. There's like pure scams. There's just like bad ideas, and then there's like reasonable things that can happen. Um, and so we'll we'll see all of those on on any platform that really has any functionality. So I think I think maybe that's a a sign that Liquid's doing well is when you start seeing scammers start moving over to create more coins on it. Uh, it's, Bring the scans back to Bitcoin. It's going to happen. Uh, it's going to happen. And again, that's why it has to be a neutral platform. It's something that, you know, anyone can create these assets uh, and it's it's up to the, the investors or the people buying them to, to understand what they are. And that's, you know, part of what we're doing is, is trying to make it um, as hard, you know, make it so you can protect yourself from these types of scams. 
So there's like some blockchains that do these types of assets and you can like create a name for it. And well, that's really easy to create something that sounds similar and scam someone. So we don't have that in Liquid. We just have asset IDs. And so it's your responsibility to kind of verify that. And even that, you know, we, we the usability of that's not very good. And when we wanted to add asset names that are convenient inside of uh, our green wallet, what we did was create an asset registry that's tied to a domain name you know. So if you own tether.to, you can register an asset that shows that that's from that website. And as long as you have control of it, I know I'm actually getting USDT. If I have a, you know, coming from a domain that's something else, who knows what it is? So, you know, we do, we do the, we, what we can to make it harder for people to scam um, or at least, uh, but, but you're, you're never going to be able to stop it all unless you have a completely permission system. And that's, that's really something we don't, we don't want to be, uh, be in the part of, of doing is trying to vet these things and, and do it. It needs to be open for everyone and, and hopefully the market will wise up and avoid scams uh, more in the future after seeing what happened before. Precisely. So it's uh, buyer beware. One other question I had just off the top of my head uh, was uh, around reorgs. So I guess, sorry, Back up a step. So with pegging in and pegging out, as I understand, there's like a timer on that. Is there an impact there on if there's a deep Bitcoin reorg? So let's say a, a chain, the some, it, yeah, it's unlikely. I don't think it's ever happened like a deep reorg, but potentially would that mess with the security model? Yeah. So everything in Bitcoin uh, is very, or in Liquid is very conservative in terms of the threat model for for Bitcoin. And, and we allow for reorganizations of up to 100 blocks. So, you know, if you think about what's happening, if you had a reorganization of even something like six blocks, that would be pretty catastrophic to a lot of exchanges. We'll handle that just fine. We'll handle 20 blocks, 50 blocks, no problem. Now, if you get this catastrophic 100 block reorg, that's where a lot of the kind of security assumptions of Bitcoin really start breaking down. Uh, And so one thing is, even when you have these reorganizations in Bitcoin, all transactions that were valid will still be valid in the future uh, when on top of the reorg, unless someone intentionally double spent them. So that's, that's something that uh, is kind of just a general assumption is like in a, because reorgs happen, um, you know, maybe the network got cut off in China for, for uh, a day and they ended up creating a blockchain that was longer than the rest of the world. You could have a very large reorg there, and that's there's no malice, there's no bad intent. It's just something that could happen, uh, and that's where uh, something like you know Liquid would would be able to do okay. But all those transactions would replay. Now, theoretically, someone could double spend uh, like a pagan attempt or something like that, and that's where you could get into trouble uh, if it was beyond a hundred blocks. If it's if it's a hundred blocks or less than hundred blocks, everything will just chug along just fine. Uh, so, so yeah, if, if we do see the 100 block reorg, uh, it will be a lot more than liquid feeling pain. It will be pretty much the whole ecosystem will be um, hurting. Problems with Bitcoin. Yeah, I, I don't know what the value of Bitcoin would be at that point. If, if someone actually did those types of attacks, it would, it would probably hurt a lot more than, than uh, any loss in liquid. Right. And we would probably say any deep rehog of that nature would be so, so, so extremely difficult to pull off unless there was some kind of unknown technical problem or break in the cryptography or something. Right. 
Okay, so uh, one other thing, while we got you here, we might as well uh, break that down a little bit further in terms of the functionaries. So as I understand, there's a, so I can see here, there's block signer, watchman, and then hardware. Can you give us a little bit of a, a brief on those? Yeah, so so there's a couple of different roles that the functionaries play. And, and in theory, they could be split up. They could be a different set of people. Um, but it, in, in our case, they are all identical. So the functionary itself is is a server. Uh, it's a very standard stock server that you'd like to see in any kind of data center. Um, but attached to it is also a, a special key module or HSM that is that is uh, actually stores the sensitive material on it. And so this server is running and it's going to do two things. So the watchman's job is to maintain the balance of Bitcoin and make sure it's correct. So what it's going to do is, you know, when someone claims that there's a peg in, it's going to go out and validate in the Bitcoin blockchain. Is it actually, did we actually get paid? Is it actually under our control? Does everything check out? And if it does, it's going to say, okay, well, now I will keep track of these funds and be able to use them to spend on pegouts. And it's also watching, of course, when someone makes a pegout claim on Liquid and says, is this pegout claim valid? Did they actually have the the liquid Bitcoin? Is that transaction valid? Um, is the address that they want to send it to a valid Bitcoin address? And is it on the whitelist? And if they provided the proof that it's on the whitelist correctly, so that's what the watchman is doing. It's it's basically the you can think of it as like the wallet for um, for for the functionary. On the other side, you have the block signer, and the block signer has a has a pretty simple role. Uh, you can think of it like the miners are for um, Bitcoin. And so what they're doing is they are seeing transactions that come in, uh, that end up in their mempool, and they alternate. So they take turns. It's a round-robin uh, process. Each one takes a turn every minute. So with the 15 of them, they all have their, you know, they each go four times an hour. And they make a selection of the blocks. And so they will they will create the block, and they will send that block to all of the other block signers. And the other block signers will then uh, pre-commit to it. So they'll say, yes, I'm going to sign that block or no, I won't because I don't think it's valid or uh, for whatever reason or, or just no response if they're, say, say offline. And as long as uh, a total of 11 of them agreed that this would be a valid block, the block signer or the, the block creator, one of the block signers in that case, will go actually make the block with the right format and ask those 11 to sign it. And once it does, it now becomes a valid liquid block, and they start working on the next one. It goes to the next cycle. So those, that's the other part. And again, the hardware itself these are these are just servers that are that are locked up in data centers around the world um, that have software that are doing these um, these parts of it. And then of course the the last component is the the key module, and what it's doing is it has a very limited interface to the world, uh, and so it's talking. It's getting very limited feedback over a uh, uh, um, you know, secure channels to to that are very hard to say uh, take advantage of exploits on, and so it's sending information into it um, for very specific actions. But that means it can't validate everything that would be validated, say, on the the main part of the server. So on the uh, watchman side, it's just what it's doing is it's signing Bitcoin transactions that are either paying itself or that are paying uh, people on the whitelist. So that's all it will sign. So if it's if it's just paying itself, it will do that periodically to refresh the funds, uh, or if someone requested a pegout. And on the block signing side, uh, what it's going to do in that case is it's keeping track of 
the last block it's it has signed and it's kept keeping track of the height that it last signed and it's making sure that the blockchain only moves forward so it, you know you can replace the last block uh, there's there's kind of a reason you don't want to deadlock if there was you know it thought it signed something but it didn't actually make it to everyone else uh, it does need the ability to replace the same the, the last block uh, as long as it has the same parent and then it will just keep signing the blocks making sure it's moving forward so uh, this is something where you know it is designed to be isolated so that if someone for you know as much as these machines are locked down and, and access is restricted even if someone could you know hack into it they still can't get the signing to do any more than what it already agrees to which really limits the potential damage that could happen yeah it's an interesting uh, way it's been set up in such a way that uh yeah it's just more difficult to kind of steal out of it let's talk a little bit about blockstream liquid from the point of view of developers so let's say there's a developer and they're thinking okay i want to fool around with this and play around with it what are some good ways to get started yeah so you can download uh elements uh from uh, Elements Project's uh, GitHub. And this allows you to run a full node in Liquid, just like you'd run a Bitcoin full node. And so it, can, it comes with, it's almost exactly the same as what you'd expect with Bitcoin, where you have the daemon and you can have the RPC interface, just like you would if you're programming Bitcoin. All those Bitcoin libraries that know how to call the Bitcoin RPC calls can also call into Liquid. So you know, if you're using uh, JavaScript or you're using Go or you're using Python, you can basically go into all the resources that you've seen for, for Bitcoin and also now just change it to a different port and now start communicating with it uh, and doing Liquid. And of course, there's also the, uh, the Elements Qt application, which is similar to the Bitcoin Qt, which is the graphical user interface um, to, to be able to use this. So if you want to start programming away, uh, first thing I would say is 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 learn how to do it for Bitcoin, and if you're already familiar with Bitcoin, that's going to be really natural for you because it's it's basically the same API, except for support for things like assets. So if I want to send a transaction to you, I just need to now specify exactly what I send in Bitcoin, but what asset I want to send you. So that's uh, kind of and then of course there's extra API functions for things like pagans and creating assets and all that. So the the best resource on that to get started, uh, we have docs.blockstream.com has has some uh, good tutorials of walking through of how to get started, how to set up your node. Uh, if you're using Mac or Linux or Windows, um, you can you can run a node and uh, start start interfacing with the network uh, as a as a developer. Fantastic. Look, I think that's most of the questions I had. Is there anything else you wanted to bring up around uh, Blockstream Liquid? No, so I think uh, we, we just got back from uh, Tokyo last month. We had a Liquid Federation meeting. Uh, if you follow some of the uh, people like Samson on Twitter, um, you know, pretty big response there. It's a lot of excitement from from the community. Uh, we are there's a lot of interest in in assets. I think that's something that's that's really starting to pop up. Um, we have we have the asset registry, and I keep going there, and it's just like this list growing and. It's amazing when people I don't even know who they are or that they're even doing anything and they're starting to get involved. So I think it's really starting to take off. Um, you know, it is one of those things where it is building that network effect. And, you know, as we've reached our one year anniversary of Liquid, uh, it's really started to hit that that inflection point where it's starting to, to tick up in terms of usage and assets. So I expect I expect the next year to be really big for for Liquid. 
Awesome. Well, uh, look, I think that's um, pretty much it for this episode. So just make sure you let the listeners know where they can follow online and uh, keep up to date about what's going on with Liquid. Yeah, so follow the uh, Blockstream Twitter. We're, we're uh, always um, tweeting about all the different things we're doing in the Bitcoin ecosystem. Uh, we're, we're very frequently at conferences all around the world. It helps that we're very global company uh on many continents even australia um and uh and can uh can attend a lot of these these different events and have engineers everywhere and um so yeah keep an eye out for for events in your area following on uh on twitter obviously our, our website blockstream.com or uh block explorer blockstream.info if you haven't switched to using it yet strongly recommend it. it's the best one uh, out there you can even run it yourself uh, and of course, Liquid uh, itself, download a node and start uh, start exploring. Fantastic. Well, thank you for joining me today, Alan. All right. Thanks, Tim. I hope you enjoyed that. And just a reminder about the company I set up with a longtime friend of mine and co-founder, Katan. It's Ministry of Nodes. Our aim is to deliver Bitcoin beginner webinars on running nodes and holding your own keys. So make sure you refer your beginner friends to us. The website is ministryofnodes.com.au. We've already run some sessions and we got some really great feedback on that. Also, just a reminder, if you want to get the show notes, find the transcript or subscribe to the show, go to stefanlevera.com. Thanks for listening. And that's it from me. So I'll see you in the Citadels.